most preachers would probably take a swig of water. I chose coffee. The elixir of the gods. Uh, today's scripture comes to you from uh, the message. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. You can join me in your uh, New Living Testament, but it's going to be a little off, a little weird. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you choose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness. Excuse me. If you lose your saltiness, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you up on a light stand. Now that I've put you up there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dear Lord, may the message that I'm about to deliver be the message that is intended for these people to receive. Speak through me. And may I be the servant that you need me to be today. Amen. I'm nervous. It's not often that I come to you nervous, but I am nervous. A month ago, I stood in front of Sean there at the back of the room. It was uh, Thursday morning. We were getting ready for a global leadership summit. We had some time to kill, and Ross and I had a conversation. I was trying to be proactive. And I was asking him what he wanted me to preach on this weekend. And I uh, sussed forth a few ideas, and he said, no, no, no. And uh, he was very quick to say, I want you to preach about your passion. And I kind of looked at him. uh, I I, I looked at Sean, and I, I think... Sean would agree with me to say that my job must have hit the floor. And uh, there was no guidance, no nothing. There has been no guidance over the four weeks since then. See, that's what makes it hard. Uh, Travis would go, uh, you know, Travis would go away uh, twice a year for a week and uh, suss out his sermons. And in sussing out his sermons, uh, I know that some of us have the perception that in some ways Travis wasn't very prepared, but a week after that sermon retreat of his, 
he would send us an email with these detailed notes of what the next six months were going to look like. There would be Bible verses, there would be hymns, there would be all these notes in there. And so when he would come to you to say, Stuart, I want you to preach on such and such day, you would go to those sermon notes and be able to uh, get a, a real good head start. Ross left me with a simple assignment. Preach about your passion. And I'm not going to lie to you, that scares the dickens out of me. Um, a year ago, I found myself, uh, a week after my sister had passed away, on a uh, uh, healthy church initiative team with our district superintendent, uh, Eddie Rivera. And we were at a church in El Paso, and we got to a point in time, uh, late Saturday afternoon, we were tired, uh, the coffee was cold, um, you know, the snacks were gone, we were, you know, frustrated, we had come to a difficult point in trying to help this church uh, move forward. And then finally, Eddie had a breakthrough where he was like, it, it, it's in the church, the answer is in the church's name. It's in their DNA. The, the name of the church, it's in their DNA of what it is that they're supposed to be, who they are supposed to live into, who, are, who they are to grow up to be. It's in the DNA. And so we researched the church's name and found the answer that we were looking for, and so we sussed out the problem for them through their name through their DNA. I'm going to use that exercise today. But I'm going to start here. Can everybody see this? It's a, it's a vase. There's some water in it. And so I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Please do not shout out any answers. Perfect within reason. Is it half full or is it half empty? Think about that as I talk to you today. As I just told you, um, my sister passed away a year ago, and uh, I, I, Sarah and I received an incredible gift of, um, well, we had to clean out our house which was not the incredible gift by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, we received these boxes of pictures, pictures that uh, I hadn't seen in ages and pictures that I had never seen before. And there was a picture of us as a family on the couch. I was sitting in my dad's lap. My mother was sitting next to my father. My sister was sitting next to my mother and then my two brothers. I'd never seen this picture before. And so I tell you the story to say that my mother, according to my dad, and okay, so my dad's like a really great storyteller, and he's from Texas, and so everything's exaggerated. It's bigger and better and 
you know, more beautiful. But according to my dad is that he said, uh, my mother used to say, if I can have them, I can name them. And so my oldest brother, Stanley Price Davenport, and my middle brother, uh, Stephen Charles Davenport, the Charles and the Price are for my mother's father, my grandfather. And, uh, and then there's me, Stuart Mark. And the Mark in my name is for a great-grandfather, so a, a great-great-grandfather of mine. And then there was Nancy. Nancy Lynn Davenport. And in the last year, well, it's been an uh, ongoing conversation ever since I've met Sarah, but in the last year especially, you know, going through my sister's stuff, we've come to uh, surmise that we think um, my dad named my sister. And so he messed the whole thing up. Because the other thing that my dad said about my mother was, if I stutter, one of them ought to come. See, our, our names of the boys are not just S's, they're STs, Stanley, Stephen, Stewart. So I tell you that to say, what does the name Stewart mean? I would start off here to say three things. One, if you hear Eureka Harper say my name, she says it as Stuart. There's kind of like a S-H before the T. And if you hear uh, Jackie Amador, our Scottish friend who comes sometimes to this service and to the 940 service and the 1115 service and the 533 service, she's a family of all services. Uh, she um, says most definitely, Stuart. Like it's a real S-C-H kind of sound into it. And then if you were to hear... Uh, my mother by choice, my high school drama coach, who's been uh, the mother that I guess God intended for me to have, she says, uh, stir it. So what does Stuart mean? I can tell you this, that it is the 3,890th most popular name in 2017. It's uh, from an occupational surname originally belonging to a person who was a steward. It is ultimately derived from only English stig, meaning house, and word, meaning guard, keeper of the estate. The name Stuart is an Anglo-Saxon baby name. In Anglo-Saxon, the meaning of the name Stuart is steward. Okay, what does steward mean? S-T-E-W-A-R-D is what I'm saying. It's a noun. A person who manages another's property for financial affairs, one who administers anything as the agent of another or others, a person who has charge of the household of another, buying or obtaining food, an employee who has charge of the table, wine, and a club restaurant or the like, kind of like wine, a person who attends to the domestic concerns of persons on board a vessel, like a ship or a train or a bus, uh, the person who waits on and is responsible for the comfort of passengers, takes orders for the distribution of food, a person appointed by an organization or a group to supervise the affairs of that group at certain functions, to act and to serve as a steward. I found this on a baby naming website. Stuart is tender-hearted and a likable chap, their words, not mine, 
who is sincerely cares about other people and believes that love is all that matters. He is generally pleasant, cheerful, and helpful. He is impressionable with an active imagination, a faculty that provides him with a sanctuary when it, the going gets tough. He is seduced by change, and fantasy is a part of his nature. March Truesdale must have said that. However, he can go through phases of stability and routine where he attempts to get his life in order, followed by others that are characterized by change and soul-searching with an outcry, outright refusal of restriction. Outcry, too. Stuart wants to be liked and very much enjoys being Mr. Charming. You like me. You really do. He can be weak-willed at times, breaking his own resolutions more often than he would like. Stuart is a disconcerting man around whom one doesn't always know how to behave. So what does Davenport mean? According to the dictionary, Davenport means a large upholstered sofa, typically able to be converted into a bed. Or an ornamental writing desk with drawers and a sloping surface for writing. So a Davenport would be on a ship. Uh, it was a stand-up desk, uh, actually a roll-top desk. So you could pull the top down so that if the ship swayed side to side, the contents would stay inside. So they're about yay big. Yeah. It's the antique dealer's son and me. Um, that's not the right definition. So from Facebook, I found this, and who knows how right this is. Davenport, due to their unfailing politeness, those with their, this last name could always be counted on to know what to do even in the most awkward of social situations. Their grace and tact, even with the most difficult people, meant that everyone wanted a Davenport in their life to teach them how to do it. Davenport, first used in 1068, the 11th century. This unusual surname recorded in the spellings of Davenport is an Anglo-Saxon origin and is a location name from Davenport in Cheshire. So it's a place. What does Mark mean? It means polite, shining, warring. So I guess with the name... Stuart, Mark Davenport, that I was predestined to serve, to manage, to be concerned about everyone, to fight for what is right, to be a steward. But I'm supposed to talk about my passion. What does passion mean? Strong and barely controllable emotion a state or outburst of strong emotion, an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Synonyms, fervor, ardor, enthusiasm, eagerness, zeal, vigor, fire, energy, animation, spirit. Fanaticism. A thing arousing enthusiasm. The suffering and death of Jesus. So, I've shared with you the definition of my name, my first name, my middle name, my last name. And does that really tell you um, how passionate I am? Well, let me start here. Uh, I, I, what I'm about to say, I, I, uh, I say because, well, one, I need it back. <laughs> 
And two, I wanted to be animated in the sense that um, I had borrowed this wooden crate from David Herford and the New Mexico State University Theater Department. It was in the library. It was like a yellowish-orange, and I only say this because it is gone. If you have... Um, accidentally borrowed this, could you accidentally bring it back? <laughs> because it doesn't belong to me. So imagine if I was standing on this crate and the idea was that on the side of the crate it would be saying soap because it's... I'm going to stand on a soapbox. Maybe this will help define who I am. I am a passionate person. I am passionate about the Broncos and I am most definitely passionate about anybody but the Dallas Cowboys. I am passionate about pie, especially pecan pie. And I'm passionate about really good high and butterfat content ice cream. I am passionate about dark chocolate. I am passionate about flourless dark chocolate cake. I am passionate about Mexican food, especially Norteño Mexican food. I am passionate about bow ties. I am passionate about a comfortable t-shirt and jeans. I am passionate about miniature souvenir buildings. I am passionate about music, good music. Thank you very much. That was amazing. And I'm passionate about seeing good music live. So it was great to see you live. I am really passionate about seeing good music live at Red Rocks in Colorado. Best place to go see a show, hands down, seriously. I'm passionate about traveling. I'm passionate about the places that I lived in and living in San Francisco was pretty cool. I'm passionate about the son, about being the son of a finagler, having a son of a son of a finagler, and uh, the brother of finaglers. I'm passionate about the art of the finagle. I am passionate about perfection, but I am more passionate about perfection within reason. I am passionate about being responsible with money, but I'm also passionate about getting things right the first time. I'm very passionate about saving time. I'm passionate about my wife, and I'm passionate, and, and passionate about being called a husband, and I'm passionate about my son Seth and being called daddy. I'm passionate about the work I do now, and I feel that it is my calling. I am passionate that ministry is not for the faint of heart, and I'm passionate that ministry is hard, and I'm passionate that we make, all of us together, we make ministry hard. I'm passionate that taking Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is easy, but I'm passionate that being a Christian for every minute of every day, of every week, of every year, for the rest of your life is hard. I am passionate that no one is in charge here of anything unless we have put Jesus in charge of us first. And I am passionate that I need to be surrounded by you. I am passionate that we... I am passionate that this church was built for a reason that it has yet to know. And I am passionate that something is happening here. And I am passionate that we are here for a reason and that we may not live to see what that reason is. And I am passionate that we need to live in multi-generational community. And I am passionate that if you are not a part of two groups, one of them being an accountability group, you cannot call yourself a Methodist. And I am passionate that as I, as a man of this church, need a community of men to pursue Christ with. And I am passionate that I need a community of men to text me and ask me, are you clean? And I am passionate that I am right and I am passionate that I am wrong. 
and I am passionate that I have discovered a mistake in this list of passions. How could I forget coffee? Seriously, like I am so passionate about coffee. Oh, so good. Recently, um, I went to uh, Marge. I went to go see our friend Rebecca Simon Peter in Albuquerque a couple of weeks ago, and I spent three days with Rebecca. And uh, I'm in this thing with Rebecca called A Culture of Renewal. It's three tracks. I happen to be on track two right at the moment. And in this, I had to send out a survey. And there's a point to this. Um, So I asked the staff. I asked Travis. I asked Ross. So Travis being my former boss, Ross being my current boss, to fill out this, like, survey. And in it... uh, they're supposed to, it's supposed to fit into this profile and it's supposed to tell you what your strengths are as perceived by others and what your weaknesses are so that you can work on those weaknesses with others. So imagine, if you will, uh, an umbrella that fits the top half more and the bottom half, it doesn't quite, it comes into the bottom half, but not quite. So it's kind of like this weird circle. The bottom half, one of the sections is Humble. I need to work on being more humble. And I say that because um, I guess in my humility, my lack of, it's really hard for me to talk about my passion. See, I would rather show you instead of stand up here and talk to you about it. I'd rather model the way. So it's hard to talk to you. It's hard to live into this passion every day. It's hard because I look to you more often than not to refuel, to refill my passion, my passions. It's hard because I find Christ to be so logical and rational for my life that I think that you too should understand the same logic and the same rationale. That words are double entendres. That the words that are double entendres, prodigal and expectancy, should be easily understood because I understand them and try to live into them. Prodigal. That God loves us prodigally, so lavishly, so generously expectancy, that we should live thinking and hoping every day for what it is that God, through his son Jesus, did for us, dying for our sins, and then he leaves us surrounded by the Holy Spirit for the rest of our lives to live in expectancy. It's hard to share my passion to vocalize it, to live into it, to push into it, to lean into it, because when I share with you how I praise God the Father, trying to live in the love of the Son of Jesus in every moment of every day, and to embrace the Holy Spirit, I'm afraid to be judged by you, that I'm not doing it right, and that I'm not doing it your way. It's hard to share my passion when I tell you that I happen to be more concerned 
about these chairs that are empty than the ones that are full. That I am passionate that it is not about us as individuals, but it, that, that it's about us as a community together. That it's not about our preferences, but what God has in store for us together, and that we should reach out to those who are not here because we care together as a community. That we live to be generous, to be prodigal. It's easier just to do it. To hope that one thing lands right. That I hope that I make a difference in one person's life. I am passionate that all I may be to you is two fish and five loaves, and that may not be good enough for you. And that scares me. I'm passionate that in community things get better, we get better, that I am made better through you, that eventually community in Christ becomes as comfortable as wearing your favorite t-shirt and jeans, that is, and that is how Jesus should be. And I am passionate that I've learned through the love of a woman that I can learn to love myself and that by loving myself better, I can love her more and better that I've learned through the prayers of a child that I can pray in public and not care what other people think. I'm passionate about kingdom building here at Morningstar and that we must live into the DNA of this church, that our name implies that we are still in the early stages of where it is that God wants us to be and that we are to be a beacon to the neighborhood that surrounds us, the community of the East Mesa, to Las Cruces, to Don Ana County, the state of New Mexico, our country, and our world. That we were not meant to do mission and ministry inside these four walls or on these five acres. That we were meant to go out beyond our comfort zone. I'm passionate that this church was created some 22 years before I would grace its doors. That God knew that I and others like me would need this place. And I would need a pastor like John Moore, but would need Travis Bennett more. And then I, we, would need Ross Bennett, I'm excuse me, Ross Whitaker even more. Ross Bennett Whitaker, that's his name. No, it's not. <laughs> that this is a place where I can come with all my sin, all my dysfunction, all my lack of love and all my lack of passion and be just two fish and five loaves. That as individuals, that is all we are. But together, we are more. Together, I am more through you. I am passionate that this is why I am here and that this is why you are here and that this is why we are here together. Listen to me now and believe me later. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. 
You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of this world. God is not a secret to be kept. God is not a secret to be kept. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you up on a light stand. And now that I've put you here on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Earlier, I asked you a rhetorical question. Is this half empty or is this half full? I ask you this other question. Is your heart, your soul, your spirit half empty or half full? It does not matter if the, that the question is, is it half empty or is it half full? Because the answer to both questions is, it's refillable. Your heart, your soul, your spirit, they're refillable. They're refillable as long as you invite God the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to refill you daily. That as you let God... Jesus and the Holy Spirit to refill you, you are able to go out and be the salt you were designed to be, the light we were designed to be, to, ge to be generous as we were designed to be, to be open to the possibility that God has in store for us together.